This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladayan. All right, hello, 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 hello. I think that was my world record for most hellos said in an intro. I, I don't have a rhythm anymore. I don't know how to host a show. This is Fans on the Run. There you go. You can tune off now. But no, it's we have we have a treat for you today. I I am a sucker for Beatles memorabilia, especially Beatles memorabilia from the 60s. Why is that relevant, you may ask? Giving you time to respond, audience out there. And it's because we have a fantastic author with us today. He's the author of NEMS and the Business of Selling Beatles Merchandise in the U.S., 1964 through 1966. Terry Crane, welcome to Fans on the Run. Ethan, I'm excited to be here, so... Uh, Don't get we, your hopes up yet. It's, a, it's okay, we'll be fine. Yeah. Again, that's what they also said uh, as the Titanic set sail. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is probably fine. This is the unsinkable ship. That's right. Let's see how long we can go before hitting that iceberg. Gotcha. So how are you doing today? You know, I'm just doing really well today. It's a nice, not sunny day where I'm at, but that's okay. It turned a little cool, so it's, it's a good day to be inside no and talking to it's you. It's not sunny e- here either. It's an amazing coincidence. Gotta love the East Coast. Ah. <sighs> So, man, this virus. <laughs> it's affecting us down here, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've been told. I'll probably edit that out. That was really clunky. You do whatever you need yeah. to do. Whatever uh, you need to do. I'm going to jump right back to the beginning. Okay. When did you first discover the Beatles? I believe... It was probably uh, when they hit Ed Sullivan, I was eight years old, and I remember seeing that. And at eight, it didn't have, it had a nice effect on me, but it wasn't, you know, earth shattering or life changing at that moment and all that. But I remember over the next year or so, I remember I have an older sister and she kept playing these Beatle records uh, from her room, and I remember very distinctly, she had a George Remco doll. It's a doll made by the Remco company, and for the Beatles memorabilia people, they all know what the Remco dolls are. That was one of the main ones that everybody got. And she now, had George. Now here's the here's the hard question. Okay. Was it a hard or soft body? Hers, I believe, was the soft body. I believe, and she still has it. Uh, she keeps keeps in a little dome all alone uh, now, and I told her she can leave that to me whenever she decides to. But uh, so every time I would go into her room uh, to sneak in there to, to look at if, she, if she's got any records or anything, I could I could play on my own record player. George was sitting there staring at me, and I can remember that to this day. And for some reason, <laughs> that George doll has stuck with me, good or bad over the years so that's really my first remembrance of memorabilia now music wise you know i can remember their songs and everything from back then but i remember that she had the rubber soul album and i can remember the the, her album the front the back the liner notes i can remember the pictures on it and i can remember the you know to this day i can play the whole 
uh, album in my head back to back and even turn it over to play the second side. So somehow right in there around the Rubber Soul era is when it really started sinking in with me and, and then from then on. So I'm a, I'm a first gen uh, person who was there uh, when it started and can say that I remember some of the early memorabilia back then when I was eight and nine years old, but the music, it still uh, stuck in me uh, from that point on. Well, but that that's how you know this is going to be a total nerd fest. When the host, the second question he asks is, is it a hard or soft body Remco doll? There you go. And what's great is the uh, person on the other end of the uh, uh, recorder here knew exactly what that question was and how to answer it at that, at that point. And to this day, I'm still trying to find out why that company even made hard versus soft and i've heard so many different uh answers to that that i don't have the uh the final answer yet of why they went and had two different types of body styles like that but there there you go that's exactly the kind of thing that i'm looking for is just an answer to a little simple question like that that have always plagued uh beetle fans <laughs> now which came first the hard or soft well that is a, another good question because some of them some of them say you know they've got their collection of the hard and they've got their collection of the soft some of them say they did that because of uh they got by with cheaper materials some say that some guys just started changing the uh the things they put in the machines at one of the production things and it turned it in from the hard to the soft but uh but to this day again i can't get the exact question of why they they had two different body styles that went out with those dolls. Well, we'll get more to the uh, esoteric realm of <laughs> Beetle merchandise in a bit. So, apart from those records that you probably stole from your sister, I did. Um, what was the first Beetle album that you remember, or Beetle album record single EP? I don't know that you remember owning on your own. Well, I bought the first one, 45, that I bought was Lady Madonna. I do remember that. I have that in my collection. I wrote all over the label, which was, when you look back on it, you know, if you're a collector, they would shun on that. But I'm, I'm my my collection of If stuff I saw like it that. in a record store, I probably would not buy it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because because that, they don't look for that. But when you're, when you're somebody like me who collects things not for the monetary value and not worried about how they're going to uh, help take care of retirement and all that kind of stuff. I just collect it because I like it. So Lady Madonna was the first one, uh, that the 45 that I bought. And, and along that same line, if I can answer in another way, another way I remember very distinctly listening to uh, the song Revolution by the Beatles, and I remember very distinctly it was on. I was in the uh, uh, the the KXOK from the St. Louis area down okay. in the states. Uh, is what came in. It was what we got closest to us where I was at, and I can remember for weeks and weeks, the song "Revolution" for the Beatles was out, and it was hot and all that. But I never heard the beginning of the song. I always got in on the middle of it or towards the end and like that. And it wasn't until a few weeks later uh, when the song was still going strong and all that, that I finally t 
timed it just right that I had the radio on and here came those opening chords that opening a uh, couple strings yeah. that John played and all that exactly and I'm going what in the world is this and then it goes into the song and I go oh my god that's that's how that song started how cool is that but it is it's just funny that I never knew that until almost weeks into listening to the song revolution and that that took it even to to a whole different level than what it was uh, right then from before. So I can I can remember that, and I can remember uh, Lady Madonna was my first 45, and I do remember actually the first album that I purchased myself was the Abbey Road album, and then I always then I did what everybody else does. I went backwards from there, but but that was the first one that I got my own money from from earning my own dollar or something every now and then, and went down to the store. I probably bought it for about four or five dollars. That was the first Beatle record, the first first Beatle album that I purchased on my own, and I still have that uh, to this day. Pretty cool. Since that was the the first Beatle album, and you would have been, you know, a youngin, right around that time, and there was this uh, rumor going around that one of the Beatles was dead. Did did you were you into this rumor? <laughs> I knew of the rumor, and I knew that uh, uh, I was probably about 13, uh, 12 or 13 at that time. And I do remember uh, my sister uh, getting some of those magazines that has uh, uh, Paul is Dead on the cover, or and they took you through all the clues and everything. Mm-hmm. And when you're 13 and 14 years old and you read all those clues, they all made perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, of course he was dead. Because because we're talking about uh, different things and all that kind of stuff. And all it, those it was, clues, like all those if you clues. play if you play magical mystery tour side one upside exactly. down and backwards, you will probably break your stylus. Exactly. And when you read all that, and so I got out my uh, later on, I got my out my Abbey Road album cover, and of course everything on the album cover, the twenty eight if on the license plate, and everything. It made perfect sense when I was reading this stuff, and I'm. Going, well, it's got to be true because these magazines are telling me it is. Uh, that's my uh, favorite bit of the whole thing, the, the 28F. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he was, he wouldn't know Correct. that the math is wrong there. Oh, well, that didn't matter. Yeah. That doesn't matter because, because really good uh, people into those things can then tell you, yes, but that took into account that uh, if he was conceived nine months before, he oh. would have been 29 and that's what, and, you know, or 28 and that's what it was. So, I mean, it was great because for every, for every uh, thing you could, you could put on one side of the legal pad that was a no, somebody would say, oh, put something on the left side of the legal pad as a yes and say, ah, but here's how you explain that. So it was just interesting to, to read all that kind of stuff and how it went back and forth and back and forth. My, my favorite bits are the ones where people try and find clues in like revolver or rubber sole. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you look at this, there's a car coming out of Paul's ear, but it's like, he wouldn't have been dead yet. <laughs> I know. But back then they were hinting and here's, here's how they hinted to you that this could be coming and they would take it to a whole different level. So that was a, that was a fun little, little thing to go through and it got you reading though it got you reading some more of the magazines and got you reading uh the more things about 
the band and all that kind of stuff. It and, got and you it, to go out to the record store to buy a yep. new copy because someone ruined their copy of Sgt. Pepper by playing it backwards too many times. You got it. And and they, they all the, the insides and everything on it, every, everything. And the, they they went through the magazine too many times and some, one of your buddies borrowed it, never gave it back. So you had to go back and buy you a new one. And, and by that time, there was even another new one out there on the on the newsstand so it was it was just an interesting time to go through that and to see what was going on and like i said when you're 13 or 14 it all made perfect sense so of course he's dead <laughs> of course he's dead you heard it here first <laughs> that's right <laughs> so where were you when you had heard that the beatles had broken up uh I was probably a freshman in high school and it was one of those you start hearing these things and you think, well, no, that can't be true. And then you'd hear something else and you know it can't be. So it, it took quite a while for it to really uh, sink in uh, with somebody like me that, that that era or that genre or that specific moment in time could be gone. And then you'd go, well, they'll they'll get back together they'll do this or do that well then you start hearing the different things about well now george has done this and you've watched the concert for bangladesh and john's done this and paul's done this and ringo's done this so so even though they were apart you you could still keep in touch with them you could still see what they were doing individually and apple was still putting out the 45s and apple was still putting out the from different uh different other performers and yeah. the, the well, albums he had were like coming bad out. finger and exactly. Mary Hopkin. exactly so there was still an uh an area you could still feel like you were engaged with them and see what was going on with them and then of course like everybody you still had this hope that someday uh it, they would do something and and get back together but it was just interesting to to go through all of the different uh, stages where they were going out on their own is what it was. Hold on, I I will be right back. I just okay. have to. What were we talking about? <laughs> well, we got we got Paul's now dead. Okay, Paul's, and sorry, Paul's now dead. <laughs> and we got through the Beatles breaking up. Okay, so Beatle breakup. So I want to ask, what do the Beatles mean to you? was just i think it was just a, an exciting time uh, they brought something i think to me and to everybody that was a little bit different and, and i realize people have said this before but sometime you or your audience or whatever watch the ed sullivan show the very first ed sullivan show and sit back with your popcorn and your and your drink and watch go rent it or something and watch it all the way through from the opening credits until until the end and think about the whole the thing? difference no yeah watch the whole hour show even the first with like hour the show. cast of oliver yep 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 all that watch all of that and think about the difference between all the performers and the beatles all if you it's you if you watch very carefully the gymnastics and the plate spinner and the oliver and the uh uh, uh tessie o'shea singing uh bill come home bill bailey and the 
and Frank Gorshin doing the impersonations and all that, watch carefully between what I would call uh, old school, <laughs> which is the which is the kind of things that the the, the, the what was going on then the, in the Ed Sullivan show, and then the Beatles coming on and performing, and then going back to the old school performers. It, it's what's interesting to me. It's almost like, and I know this is a weird analogy, but when you watch the Wizard of Oz, and when the the uh, house lands in the place and Dorothy opens the door and the black and white movie changes to color and the rest of the movies in color once Dorothy opens the door and now she's in Oz. Well, think about, it's almost like Ed Sullivan could be all in black and white, which it is, but the moment he says, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles, it's almost like you could have color right then mm -hmm. and when they're done, it goes back yeah. into black and white <laughs> and then they come back on and it goes back into color because because if, even if you watch it a couple times, Watch it with the idea of what the difference is between them on that stage and the enthusiasm that they have and what they do to the audience and what they bring as entertainers versus everybody else on that show. And I think that's kind of just a small summary of the kind of power in everything that, that they had at that moment in time. Uh, in 1964, which there was kind of a change of the guard and that kind of thing. I like to think of that Ed Sullivan show in the exact same way you described. It's it's basically that moment was the where it was just a complete shakeup of the American, you know, show business. I and I, I agree. And and if you watch it sometimes with that in mind, I think it becomes even that much more apparent that you're looking for there's a line drawn right there mm -hmm. of, of 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 this of, of I don't want to say the old versus the new, but it but it you but could it is the of, old versus the it, new. It is. You could put that in there as an analogy of the old versus the new and just the difference in them and the difference in the other performers uh going on that that day and everything it's, it's just an interesting dynamic when you watch it that way and i think that's that's just a small uh part of what they brought uh into the public and in into into many different things whether it's the music or the memorabilia or any of that kind of stuff that they brought that just gave everything a little shot of adrenaline to to go forward from there well now now that we're talking about uh what was it february 9th 1964 mm -hmm. i, I want to ask you something what how how fast was it or how quick was oh god my words are jumbled okay <laughs> how long did it take after the ed sullivan show for beatles memorabilia to start making it in the u.s there were a few things in the works a few weeks before there was the sweatshirts which you saw uh the kids were wearing when they when they got there the sweatshirts were already a little bit in the works some of the memorabilia like the remco doll that we talked about and everything right around that same time or even a few days before they had signed the licensing agreement for that but and and this is one thing that i really believe i really believe that mass marketing in the United States by marketing an entity mm -hmm. started February 10th, the next morning at Fifth Avenue in the, in the, in the uh, offices of CellTab, who did the U.S. 
merchandising stuff because from from the from the Beatles getting done on the night of February 9th until the next morning, you had all these business people from the East Coast, West Coast, and the central parts of the states. They all got ideas. We said, oh my God, these guys are hot. We don't know how long they're gonna be hot. We're gonna drive to New York today and see if we can find these these management company and sign some contracts. So the week, the the very next day on February 10th, that from that day over for the next few weeks, there was all kind of contracts signed for licensing for a game, for jewelry, for wigs, <laughs> for for all kinds of things. So that's when, if you talk about the music Big Bang hitting on February 9th at seven o'clock central, eight o'clock Eastern when the, when the Beatles went on, the mass merchandising in the United States, literally in my mind, started the next morning. Yeah, you had Elvis before and you had Disney doing some stuff before and you had some Marvel comics and, and the comic books and, and some like the Wizard Buck of Oz Rogers, back in the 30s. Yes, you had this, all that. That cowboy you, stuff. Yes. Yeah, you had Hopalong and Cassidy, all that kind of stuff. But you did not have as as powerful as it was and as a as a defined entity as it was that it started the moment that the Beatles came on that Ed Sullivan. And I I even say, you know, today, today, whenever Disney comes out with a movie or something like that, you know as well as I, you cannot walk in Walmart and, and you know, there's the official sweatshirt, there's the official tea bag. You go through McDonald's, there's the official Happy Meal of this, there's the official this of that. And I really believe that if you want to blame somebody for that, you can blame the Beatles on February 10th that morning and their management company and all the business people around the US that had this idea that said, let's grab this while it's hot. Let's take care of it and let's get going. And and they they did. Within a within a month or two of the Ed Sullivan, you started having all kind of stuff getting cranked out. And over the summer and the fall, and especially that first Christmas for or December of 64, you had some of the weirdest and wackiest and goofiest and coolest items ever hit the shelves of Woolworths and Ben Franklin and all that kind of stuff. So I want to ask, how did the Beatles get so screwed over with the merchandising in the United well, States? <laughs> right. The, you know, and, and when, when, like how, when people, how did, how did Celtab screw the pooch? Well, when that's a, that's a side story that everybody you know knows. Everybody knows when they start talking about Beatles memorabilia, they all say, "Well, you know, the Beatles got screwed because when Celtab, who was the Beatles management company, who sold the rights and got the licensing agreements and all that, but they were kind of a, a kind of their own little entity in itself." So they signed a deal with Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager and, and the Beatles that said, uh, we're going to keep 90% of the money and we're going to give you 10% of the money. Now, when you first hear that now, 50 years later and plus years later, you know, I say we have the benefit of hindsight because hindsight makes us all brilliant by giving us perfect 2020 vision. Mm -hmm. So we're all experts now at this and say, well, they only got 10%. This company kept 90%. Well, they got screwed and they didn't make much money and all that. But what 
I give I give Brian in the 9010 and all that, I give them guys a break. This had never happened like this in the US or really anywhere. And just like I said, it was uncharted territory. It was uncharted territory. Mass merchandising was born February 10th in the US. There was no guidebook. There was no app to look at to see what's going on. There was no Excel spreadsheet. There was no Quicken uh, files on your computer that you could go see what you got to do. So, so, so the idea is that these, these management company went to Brian and said, and said, here's what we want to do. You don't have to do a thing. You're going to give us a couple of photographs. You're going to give us the Beatles name and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to sit for pictures. You don't have to endorse anything. You don't have to do nothing. And we're going to hand you a check every month. Uh, and all of a sudden Brian's going to go, this is the greatest gig in the world. I don't have to do anything and they're going to hand me a check. Now, who knew at that time how much those checks were going to be? Yeah. And what finally happened. So, but I get, I give the guy a break. No one had any idea in the world that this was going to happen. To be and fair, was, 10% of those sales is still probably a fuck ton of money. It's, 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 it's a lot of money. Back then it was a lot of money. Now I will say that, uh, the first check they handed Brian Epstein was about nine thousand dollars. Okay, so Brian goes, Brian goes, whoa, this is pretty cool. We didn't do anything, and this 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 guy's handing me a check for nine thousand dollars. Well, all of a sudden he does some quick math in his head and goes, oh, wait a minute, that means if we get nine thousand, you guys maybe are keeping eighty or ninety thousand because of the way this agreement works. He goes, well, maybe this isn't the best agreement I ever did. So within within six months of February of 1964, they renegotiated the contract. And it was more of a 50-50, 51-49 split. So he wised up really quick. And again, by that time, he had his own hindsight of how this was going to work and how this developed. But so, but so about six months, you had the 90 10 split. Uh, but as I said before, that's when a lot of the stuff happened. That's when a lot of the things happen. Now, and I will also say that everybody says, oh, Brian must have been out of his mind only getting 10%. He must have just made that up or whatever. Well, uh, it already shows in some agreements and all from England back in November of 63 and even a little bit before of that, they were already doing the 90-10 split over in England. So this 90-10 number was not something somebody just made up on the spot when they were negotiating this. This was already been a standard business practice that they were already doing. So it was just, well, yeah, we'll just do the same thing for the US. But like we said, we're all a heck of a lot smarter now. We Now, now that the basketball game is over, we know that we should have fouled that kid and not let him shoot the free throw that lost us the game because we have really good insight and hindsight. But, but you know, that's why I said everybody, everybody's like a coach now. Everybody's so much smarter after the game's over knowing what we should have done to win the game. But back then, hey, I give them a break. They did the best they could. Now everybody's smarter. Uh, now the book has been written on what to do, and we'll just call Brian and them the the help author of the book is what what happened. So, how how long did you say, or would you say that the Beatles merchandise boom lasted? Well, there was there was there was a couple waves here, and my passion is with the first wave, mm-hmm. nineteen sixty four to sixty six. 
that's when there was about 150 licensed licensed items out on the U.S. shelves. And I say licensed because that's how many went through CellTab and uh, and uh, the Beatles management company. And they said, yes, you can make this and use the Beatles name. Were there a couple of bootlegs out there? Of course. Of course. It, it's, it's business. I mean, we understand how this works. Like, what are those uh, uh, cake toppers that are? Well, you, the, you, you get that. You get some of the some of the uh, uh, there, there's a, there's different styles of wigs. I mean, there, you could do a whole book on what would be called the fake items out well, there. One of my uh, favorite things is when I, I watched your presentation at the last uh, virtual fest, mm-hmm. the not or the unofficial, or it was going to be official, but then it wasn't official. Record player. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you had some businesses that thought, well we're going to get the license so we'll go ahead and start making them and then they didn't get the license and then you had some businesses that said you know what these guys are just a fad they're not going to last four or five months and if we take the time to go get a license and do it officially and all that it might take us you know a month or two to get the license and we're not going to get in on all the sales so we're just going to roll the dice and uh, make it unofficial and see if anybody catches us so you you had different schools of thoughts uh, back in there, but but so there was about 150 licensed items from 1964 to 66 that went on the shelves and everything, and that's that's my passion that right in there. Now, how did the first there, wave end? Uh, I think there's a really interesting line drawn right around 66 and 67. To me, there's a line drawn when right around the Yellow Submarine. Uh, the Beatles stopped touring, let's say, in, in 66, in late 66, and then 77, 67 rolled along, and you had the yellow submarine items. So right in there, to me, that's where the line is. because So the stuff ended right around uh, 66 when they stopped touring, and uh, since, the, since there was no more tours and all that, the business people were a little worried about uh, would they be such prominent in the U.S. and all that. So it kind of dried up. But then the yellow submarine items started. And the yellow submarine items, to me, was the second wave of stuff that came in starting in about 67. And that was a whole genre in itself of stuff that was around the movie and all that well, kind of stuff. It's well, the, I, I see it as like the first wave of yellow submarine stuff was in the 60s, and the, the second wave started in the 90s and hasn't stopped exactly. You know, because you can you, get you might... like the yellow submarine action figures, the yellow submarine Lego, the dolls, the I everything. You're right. You're right. I have the I have the yellow submarine Lego put together on one of my shelves here. I'm and you know at what? It too. Yeah. What and what a cool item that is. So you are correct around that. Uh, that the first wave of the uh, of the perpetual yellow submarine stuff was probably about 67, 68, right in there. So so that the was a nice yellow merchandising machine. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So that was so right in there was a defining line. And actually, that's what made it. I don't want to say easier, but it but it when I'm doing my research and my book, uh, stuff like that, and my passion is the first stuff. That's a very defining line for me. I don't I don't go even though I like all the yellow submarine items and have seen a lot of it. 
but for research purposes and all that, I, I stop uh, right before that stuff hit because that that's kind of the end of the of the first wave, the first the the, the first big push of the beetle items uh, right around that time. So, how did you get started collecting and learning about the the memorabilia? Well, I I always liked. Uh, I guess the toy aspect of stuff. I mean, I still have my old 1960s GI Joe is still back in my closet, stuck in there in the old comic books and the old magazines that somehow that stuck with me over the years. So, uh, as I went old, when, as I started is one thinking, of those magazines, mad magazine. Well, of course, okay. everybody had to have that. Okay. What you and I have, and all that you and I have that in common. I, I have my, my stash. There you go. And so that, that has always stuck with me. And as I, uh, you know, as the years went on, I just thought it was more and more cool when you look back at those items and everything. And one thing about those items, uh, you know, I like, I just say I'm a collection, a collector of information. And one of the things about those kind of items that you, you have to remember is the people that did those, which is 64, 65, 66, that's 50 plus years ago. There are many people who were there and, and was in that that have passed away or, or uh, don't remember what happened. And the, the files, the filing system back then was, was a big uh, black file cabinet behind your desk. And many of those files of beetle things and beetle stuff and how many sold and all that. A lot of those files are long gone. <laughs> so it, it's stuff that I, I hate to see that kind of information be lost. So I'm trying to dig and talk to people and get as much as I can about that stuff before this kind of information is totally uh, lost. And I think that's, that's one thing about my passion about these kinds of items is I don't really, when somebody says, well, how much, you know, you know, this item's worth $125 and I'll go, well, no, I didn't know that, but you know that that item was made on uh, 44 Warren Road in Providence, New, New Jersey in a, uh, in a warehouse that had five different offices in it. And one of them happened to be one that made beetle items, you know, and, and so my, my focus of a certain item is way different than, than a lot of people. A lot, you know, if you look on uh, in my books and when I do that, there's not a mention in my book of a price mm -hmm. of how much an item costs. And I will tell people right up front, they'll go, oh, we needed a new price guide. And I said, well, that's great. Don't buy my book because I don't have any prices in mine. You know, I'm not the one you want to talk to. There are wonderful, wonderful price guides out there that will tell you about how much this is worth, you know, this Paul is worth this much money. And if he still has his guitar, it's worth this much money. And if he hasn't cut his hair on this doll, it's worth this much money. And that that's a whole art in itself, but that's not my interest. My interest is, well, I like this Paul doll. What company made it? Who in the world thought about designing this? Maybe when did they get the license? Where was the company located? How was the, the, the uh, uh, era around that company and, and different things about that kind of that kind of item. That's more of the passion for me than telling me the item is worth $125. That's an interesting part, but that's not the really cool stuff that that I like. You know, I like the I like the 
the people. I like finding the people that worked at the factory. I like finding the people who went out and bought that doll for Christmas of December 64 because of this and the story that surrounds this, the stories that surround some of these items and why people bought them back then and why people worked on them back then. The, those stories are are priceless. Uh, you know, th that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm interested in. I want to ask you about one specific item of memorabilia that has always, always fascinated me because it just confuses me. <laughs> it's the beat time pinball machine. What yeah. could you tell me about that? Well, and of all things, that was, quote, not a licensed item back back then well, by any that's means. That's what I was thinking, because it doesn't say, it's not called, like, the Beatles pinball, but on the some of the backs of the pinball machines, you can see the Beatles logo. Well, if you look at it carefully, it'll, it will, it, that pinball machine, like other items especially items from 64 and 66 65 they will allude to the beatles but you know they don't they never mention their name that you know like you said it was called beat time and maybe there's only three of four silhouettes or maybe there's four silhouettes and maybe they're a little bit different than but but they're alluding to the so so they're skirting the line right but with there the, of, with the beat time one it flat out says the Beatles that I mean on the back on the uh, I don't know what it's called on the pinball machines but you know the bit that's not the actual machine I don't think on I don't think on if you look at any of the flippers or any of the of the lights or any of the thing on the on the actual top and the front I don't think you will see uh, you'll you'll see all kind of hints <laughs> that it's the Beatles, but I really don't know. Now, what I have seen someone do, and I, I and I have seen people who've actually taken it and uh, 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 put their name put the names all over. Now, there is a later model, you know, that maybe by this time uh, the Apple has. Apple, Apple Core has now gone through and said it was okay. But the original one that came out, the beat time, uh, had really no license with the, um, with, with the, with Apple or NIMS or anything like that, but it sure alluded to it. But I believe there is now one from, from Apple Core that, uh, they have actually said, okay, we'll, we'll let the Beatles and put the name on there. But I think the one you were talking about, the beat time one, was just a great, great one to remind you that this is what it could have been. Okay, I, I stand corrected. Really I, I just Googled it, and the ones I was thinking about were modded ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I am crushed. I, yeah. I feel so. I feel ashamed of my knowledge. And I and I know I have heard of some pinball uh, aficionados, some pinball as we will wizards, call them. if you will. Yes, some pinball wizards who have taken the beat time pinball machine and modified them so it's got beetles all over it. yeah it and, says you know, the that... boodles on the original exactly there you go <laughs> yes so you know so it, they figured okay this is close enough that maybe we won't get sued so let's uh, let's roll the dice 
and see if it happens. And I don't, I will admit, since that wasn't a licensed item, I don't know if they ever got uh, how far uh, they might have been left alone uh, in the in the licensing world. But I do know there were some that uh, that uh, uh, got sued. There was a doll in 1964. There was a doll from the Goldberg Company. They made their own Beatles doll. They didn't have the license. Really? Uh, Remco had the license, and Goldberg said, "Well, we're going to make one anyway." And and Remco heard about this, and they they start taking out ads in the trade magazines, and all the publications, and they said, "We are the licensed doll items. Don't anybody else make one, or we will take you to court." And Goldberg just said, "Well, let's roll the dice and see what happens." Well, Remco did sue them, and Goldberg lost. And Goldberg had to had to uh, destroy all of their quote Beetle dolls and everything. But Goldberg did come back about a, a couple months later, and by golly, they came out with a Rolling Stone doll. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they they knew they knew a good thing when they when they saw it, but they just couldn't get the Beatles. Yeah, they came back enough. with the Rolling Stones. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, you know, beautiful. I know it's it's stuff like this, and that's why you know. And I just keep I keep researching. Somebody says, "Well, your book's done," and I said, "Yeah, but I every day I look for stuff. Every day I look for new stuff because you never know when you're going to find a story like that or something that you didn't know that you go, oh my gosh, this this is this is classic.' And that's what I mean about collecting information. I just keep finding stuff like that about that particular genre. And the one thing which you have probably found out when you interview all these people over the years about the Beatles and all this is the, the Beatle genre itself, there are so many different specific factions out there where someone is a, uh, a, a expert at the 45 records and somebody's an expert of the albums and somebody's an expert at the 45 records that was printed at the Jacksonville, Florida plant uh, from February 64 to October of 65. You can, ad I mean, you can address so him by name, Bruce. Well, but, but there are <laughs> Just so had many him people on the out show. there that, that, that have their own specific uh faction that they love and i think that's what's so great about it the other day i'm online going through some different uh videos and i find where this group of beetle lovers their uh their passion is beetle um guitar uh pedals and things that like the wah-wah and the fuzz box and the different things like that what were the different pedals that they used during times? And they would have photographs from 64 and 65 and 66 of the Beatles in the recording studio. And they oh, would have blown up. I love those. Like they would blow up the, well, there's John's foot by the fuzz tone 5,500, you know, and they'll, they will tell you everything about that fuzz tone and which one he used and where it was plugged into and to what, different uh, circuit it was plugged into and i thought oh my god and i thought oh wait that's awesome i mean and but i don't know of any other entity you know that 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 you can find so many diverse people and subject matters that people do are that surround the beatles it's just, it's great 
It is, it is literally great how people are experts at so many different things out there. And if you try to be one, an expert at all of them, there's no way. I mean, you, you lose it really quick trying to keep all that information in your head. But how cool is that? There is so many different passions. Don't even get me started efforts. on the Beatles musical equipment. Well, yeah, that there is you go. one of my favorite niches to go down sure. as a musician mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and, and you know, did he use this a Hoffner guitar or which Rickenbacker yeah. or which which Gretsch country gentleman or which all you, this you kind of stuff. You get lost in like, well, which you do. which Vox solid state amp did he use uh, on the it. recording of Dr. Robert? Was it the UL730 or was it the the Vox Conqueror? Yeah. And isn't it interesting? I mean, the the different subject matters just when you think you've heard all 1,000 subject matters that people can talk about, somebody comes up just like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old and I had never seen the subject matter of what pedal was used on what different thing. And here's the documentation because here is the uh, 72 pixel picture that we've blown up to 300 so we can digitally enhance of which one it is. I mean, that's just, that's all. But awesome. again, that's the thing with the Beatles as you, as soon as you think you know everything, you know you don't. Yeah, and you get, and I find really quick, you, you get in, I never, you know, somebody will say, well, you're an expert on memory. I said, no, no, no. I'm just a collector of information. I just happen to collect a little bit more than somebody else. But because the moment, uh, you know, I think, well, I, you know, the Remco dial, you know, there's nothing left to find out. The next day, I will run across. Yeah. Next day, you can find some sort of prototype. Exactly. And and you know as well as I, with all the memorabilia and all that, you know, I look every day out on the web and on everything I can find about things, and I'll be darned if there's not. Next week, I'll run across some image of some prototype of some blank, and I'll just sit there and stare at it and go, what in the world is this so i go really quickly uh, out on these and i and, you know facebook people think of facebook one way or the other but i go out there all the time and go to these beetle groups and go hey somebody tell me about this because i don't know mm-hmm. and there's always somebody out there that knows something about or at least someone that. who pretends they knows exactly but but at least they've seen it before they go oh i think blah 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 and all that kind of thing which which is just great yeah which is just great i want to ask you about your collection of beetle memorabilia okay. what is your it doesn't have to be the most valuable uh, what's your favorite thing of or I, beetle related I, you own Okay, and my collection is not very big. I'm very specific on that time frame and, and cool things it's like that. Heavily I, curated. I think it's heavily curated. Yeah, and I, I think that I think the record player that you and I talked about uh, once was pretty neat. I have I have a set of postcards which you heard me uh, tell the story. Maybe I did tell the story on the on the one on the the night you were talking about. Uh, when you heard me on the the virtual fest, I have a set of postcards that uh, that are that I really like. There's a story behind them, and like and like I told you the story behind the record player that I have, and because I can look at these things now, and to me, all of them have their own little story. Somebody will ask me. I was at a collector's house one day, 
and there was the Beatle record player that the real one, which only 5,000 were made. And sometimes that thing goes for $10,000 plus now. So I'm looking on the shelf and this guy had this record player and I'm sitting there staring at it. And right next to it was a Beatles handkerchief. And I go, Oh man, you got the record player and you got the handkerchief. And the guy goes, yeah, but the, the handkerchief's just, you know, it's not very important. It's the record player. I said, no, not to me, to me, they're, they're their own little entity in itself. Now, Yes, there's a price difference between the two, but but there's a whole story behind the record player, and there's a whole story behind the handkerchief, and there's a whole story behind the flip your wig game, and there's a whole story behind the Beatles hairspray. All of them have their own little story that make them so interesting to me. But I I think on my collection right now, uh, my my not licensed record player, and I think my postcards that I have uh, from the Greg Thornton collection are pretty cool because of the the story that i got told do you have the, the licensed record player no I, I i and i doubt i ever will i doubt i will ever part with a four figure and maybe by that time a five figure uh record player so i i i'm glad to go visit it at other people's houses and i'm glad to shoot Photos of it, images of it, oh. but I, I doubt I'll ever have that in my collection. My hope is that I know that the Beatles have some sort of licensing deal with Crosley, and I mean, every audiophile listening is just shuddered at the mention of it, but I think they could probably do some cool reproduction record player and sell it as, you know, pretend you're in 1964. I agree. I'd I agree. That to, yeah, that to me, if you, if you, because the, in the Crosley now a lot in Walmart or Barnes and Noble or something like that, yeah. I can see myself if you walk into Barnes and Noble and that Beatles record player now is sitting right there on the shelf. What an item that I think would, would go pretty, pretty, pretty good in that genre like that. I, I got one story about that kind of thing. Uh, they had the uh, Ravel had the Beatles yeah. models back then the model in, in 64. Yeah. Where you could, where you could, and you know, and when you're a kid like me in 64, you also had, you also put together the battleships yeah. and, the, and the tanks and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very aware of the rebel. Well, the molds where they made those original beetle models, you know, they had to have the molds to, to pour the stuff into it, to make the models Well, those actual molds are still around. They are locked up in the vault over in Germany at the Ravel, uh, their corporate headquarters now in Germany. So, so and I, I got it. I was talking to a guy who worked there. He said, well, down, down in the basement, <laughs> down in the vault uh, on one of the shelves, there's the four molds of the, of the original uh, beetle where they made the models from. And he, and I asked him, I said, did they ever think about bringing those back? you know bringing those back now in the in the, the 90s and and way on and they said well they were they they think about that every now and then but because of apple and because of licensing agreement because things have changed so much over the years that they doubt they will ever come back because there might not be the the market for them that they think they are but you know isn't it cool and that's the kind of information i like isn't it cool that the original molds where they used to pour the resin or whatever to make the models the original molds are sitting on a shelf in a vault in the basement over in germany have you seen any of the the new ones around that like people have have taken those revel uh figures and made like i, I saw 
a version of them, but it's like the rooftop concert. Yes. Uh, I just think that's just really cool. Well, and think about this now. It's something that I was thinking about not too long ago with all these 3D printers now that are getting lower and lower in cost and all that. Think about what you can make yourself now. Mm -hmm. Think about when you can find the schematic diagram of the uh, of the Remco doll or the the Colgate bubble bath uh, figure of Paul or Ringo or something like Don't that. Don't bring up and those bubble about, figures. Well, but think about how you could put that into the into the, the the digital world now and press the button on the 3D printer just to see what comes out. I'm still having nightmares from seeing those those bubble <laughs> figures. <laughs> they do have the Ringo is kind of an odd face. It's I will terrifying. It is because I'm, and as you as we're talking, I, I turn around. I'm looking at him now, and you do have a point there. Yeah, I I, I will admit that it, it's completely terrifying. <laughs> I, I would not leave it in a, a room alone with children. <laughs> And, but now I want to ask, even though we've kind of skirted around the monetary, what is the rarest item in your collection? Uh, I believe in my collection is probably the record player that we talked about. Uh, the, the, the Lionel uh, record player, the one that's not a licensed item. You know, I've, I've got the flip your wig game and I've got it's got everything in it. And I've got uh, some of the other really cool stuff but i i do like the the record player now one i wish i had you know i'll, I'll you turn read my mind you read my i'll answer it this way the the one i wish i had is probably uh it's a very simple thing i want the i want the grow hair on the beatles piece of cardboard mm -hmm. to me that's what that's that's got to be the wackiest the, and coolest the item. grow your hair on the yep yeah, you actually you sent in. I think it was a dollar or a dollar or a quarter, and you sent in uh, this uh, mail-in coupon. And what you got back in the mail was a flat envelope, and it was a piece of cardboard. It was about eight and a half by eleven sheet of cardboard. And when you got this out, you noticed that this sheet of cardboard had perforations that you actually tore off, and you got four pieces of cardboard. And each of these pieces of cardboard had like a little oh, it was like a little paddle, what it looked like with either John's head or George, Ringo or Paul. So you took this piece of cardboard and when you took it off of the eight and a half by 11 sheet, you know, it was probably only a couple inches wide and it was, let's say eight inches long. Well, you took this paddle, this piece of cardboard and you took a glass of water and you set this piece of cardboard in this water. And within a week, the most amazing thing happened. The chia seeds that were implanted on the head of each of the four beetles in water started growing. No fucking so way. So you, you were growing hair on your own beetle. And so, so it's, it's, hold on, it's just hold on, wonderful. Hold on. Yes. A motherfucking beetle's chia pet? You got it. Oh my you God. You got it. Grow hair by A and B Industries out of New York, and what I just love is not only is this item so cool, but back then when they wrote wrote the ads around these things, I mean you can't you can't beat these ads. It says uh, your friends watch them uh, yell 
with delight and in awe as they come over and watch you cut your hair on your own beetle. I mean, it's just it's just wonderful to read this stuff. That's like a copywriting uh, masterclass. Oh, it, it, it is. So sometime, look, look, uh, Google the grow, grow Your Hair on, your, on the Beatles from A&B Industries. So after about a week and all, this, these chia seeds were going on so you could have your friends over and they could watch you, you know, do I give Ringo this haircut and George this one or what do I do? And that, that was a, that's one of the coolest. And I have, I have seen it behind a glass case. I have never held the piece of cardboard in my hand. Uh, but, but to me, I mean, you know, it's, it's probably not worth 40 bucks now yeah, as opposed to 10,000 for the record player but to me it is just as cool <laughs> the the piece of cardboard where i could grow hair on my beetles i the <laughs> advertising for the old beetles merchandise is just absolutely yeah. beautiful like yeah, those, and- those beetles blow up dolls i i saw this commercial with this man who seems yep. increasingly paranoid <laughs> Like it, it lo- feels like someone's holding a gun to his head. Yep, yep, and and that that's one of the and, and with all the hundred and fifty items that we talked about from sixty four to sixty six, there was only two of them that actually had television commercials made about them. That's one of them that you saw the inflatable dolls. It's that thirty second commercial, uh, and he's in the he's in the store showing the people about the the different things. And the uh, the other one that had the commercial made, lucky you, was the bubble bath. Make sure you Seriously? watch that someday. Yep. There's Make a sure commercial you watch for that. it? Yep. Yep. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's awesome. You'll have to oh, go to YouTube no. and and look for the Beatles bubble bath uh, commercial thing. And that is that is just, that's a classic. Grandma drives by the her young teenage granddaughter's house, and, and Grandma's got the Beatle bubble bath, and turns her young granddaughter onto the bubble bath. It's great. Oh, I am art. Uh, Tell you and your listeners to go find them. I'm going to need to take just... some Xanax before I watch that. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So the 150 items, they only made two commercials and that's the, that's the two. I mean, talk about, you know, uh, quality <laughs> over quantity, I guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Col- Colgate Palmolive. I've even seen the... Uh, uh, Col- I, I believe Please tell me the I, molds still exist for those. Uh, you know what? Since Colgate, what you know, so there's 150 items in the U.S. that were made. Well, actually, there's probably only about 10 or 15 of those companies that are still around. And of course, one of them is Colgate. That's Colgate Palmolive, the one that's still around. That's who made the the. So somewhere way down in their vaults, I bet those molds are still around. Or they've got the diagrams. I've not been able to to cut through yet onto that red tape and to find those. But I'm sure they're find around. the missing prototypes of John yeah, and George. I've seen the I've I've seen the the prototypes uh, before they were painted, and they actually had a prototype that they made before they made the actual one that was just a little bit different. But I'm sure in down in the vault, just like we talked about the the models. I'm sure down the vault somewhere they're. Why are they're, you making me think of some there. sort of like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> there you some go. Sort of vault yep. with like That's exactly. all these Ringo dolls just staring into the void. Exactly. And one of the things that I think 
is interesting about quote my line of passion now is I will talk to people about let's say I give a presentation uh, somewhere about the, the different items and all that I will always have people come up afterwards and they'll go you know what they go I they'll say I lived through this I was 17 when all this hit or I was 14 and I bought everything I could get my hands on and I had no idea of these other things that you talk about. I had no idea there were 150. I had about 30 items in my collection and they'll she'll, they'll go, I've never seen the rest of this stuff or I've never, I didn't know they existed. And that was a, a part of my research in the book, which I think is kind of cool because I, I wasn't going down that road. I didn't realize that so many people who were, who were, who lived through that time and collected and was the fans at that time, you know, they only had certain things. So they didn't know maybe that there was a girl your hair yeah. on the field <laughs> or, or they didn't know. Probably you know, for the best. It may have been for the best, but, but how cool is that? That they can go, I had no idea that this existed or this existed. So it's that information dissemination that I can do that I, I think is really cool. Now I want to hit you with some quick fire questions. Okay. What is your favorite Beatles song? Uh, again, and then, and I know, I can always say a day in the life, and then, but then the moment she loves you comes on the radio or on the comes out of the speakers, and you have the speakers turned up, and the opening chords of she loves you, and when they start that, you can't help but get hooked into that. So that's one. As soon of my as you favorites. hear Ringo's floor tom go. Exactly. I mean, you you can't not get sucked into that song the the moment it comes over the speakers. So I think that that ranks. I right think up it's there. the Beatles' most energetic record. Like you it, know, you may have it a point. Yeah, rivals anything that the Dave Clark Five ever put out. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, Dave Clark Five could add the sax yeah. in there. Well, didn't where the, the Beatles Dave Clark didn't. Five have Remco dolls too? Dave Clark Five had had Remco dolls too. They sure did. Do you have those? And, I do not have those. I have seen images, and I know there are some collectors out there that have a whole Dave Clark Five shelves, and along with the monkey shelves. Although I don't know if Remco did the monkeys dolls, I will admit at this moment I don't know who did the monkeys dolls. Who cares? Dolls. Who cares? Well, but it, but 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 it, they it, they do care to those collectors because they put them right next to their monkey mobile, and they look really cool on their shelf. <laughs> on the flip side to that question pun intended yeah. um yes what is your least favorite beatles song uh, it, it, that's a that's a tough question There's i mean i could i could I, I could say you know something like uh uh uh, when when you know you know my name goes all and all, on and on and on and on you know maybe maybe that rivals up there with it uh, uh you know you know some people will probably tell you revolution number nine but but and sure it's long and it's nine minutes or whatever it is or even longer than that but if you just sit and listen to it for a while it's actually pretty weird and interesting around that time yeah. so i'll i'll probably say uh, something like uh, uh, something like you you know my name. Look up the number off of off of the white album. That kind of stuff. Ooh, 
I, I actually kind of like it, although I do get kind of bored. Well, I mean, maybe that's really what what I meant is is I was thinking, well, this would be a great song if they had cut it off, uh, you know, if they had cut it down a minute and a half ago or something like yeah. that. So what is your favorite Beatles album? Um, I guess I could I guess I could say the, the standard Sergeant Pepper, but I'll tell you what, when you put on uh, Meet the Beatles or with the Beatles or wherever you're at at that at that moment, you know that that early rocking stuff is just is just awesome it just jumps out when it comes to that early rock and stuff speakers. you cannot go better than the beatles second album in my opinion yeah i mean it, yeah and and it it just it just it just blows up out of uh, those albums just blow up out of there yeah. like and, as soon as and, you put the record on your turntable it's you are assaulted by your speakers Right, exactly, exactly, and there there are very few songs uh, that will do that kind of thing with you in 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 music. And when you can find songs like that, you stick with them. And and many of the Beatles songs are just that way. The moment, just like Revolution that we talked about, the moment those opening uh, two two guitar strings start playing together, and John's playing those opening. You're just, you're just, you just stop and you're sucked into it. And lastly, what would you like to plug? Oh, well, as a, as an author, of course you plug your books. That's what we do. Uh, You know, and I had the, I did the book. The first book was early in February of 19. It came out first edition. And when I told you, I keep, researching every day I do so I kept finding things where I thought oh man I wish I could I could add that to the next book or I could add that to the next edition oh look at that photo I can add that or that new ad that I'd never seen and in in a year a little over the year I'd collected enough stuff that I've come out with the second edition now uh, it's got a little more it's got more images it's got more pages it's got some uh, text and stuff in there that I've edited and cleaned up a little bit that I that I got to know, so you know of course I'm gonna I'm gonna plug the second edition of the book and the first edition is still wonderful. Uh, it's still out there on the market. I still have some here, so it, if if anybody needs one, it's it's out there in Amazon and all that, or it's out on the the Fabgear company. That's go to that website and you'll see both books out there. Well, I along with my the last I along with the rest of my listeners need to go right now and pick up a copy <laughs> I feel like a bad host for admitting I don't own the book but no, I do you, want you, the book get the get the second edition uh, it's out there and I'm very uh, there was a there's a Andrew Croft who is a Beatle uh collector and all that plus he is a uh he helped me design the book uh he came and took an idea that i have about i want to do a book with this with these kind of pictures and all that and he took that book and and took it to the hundredth power of whatever i could think of i mean and him and i went back and forth and and it, it really really came out well i always wanted to do the book where the pictures are just amazing 
you know, where they pop off in. So, you know, and the text is, the text is really, it tells you about the Colgate palm olive and it tells you about the beetle, the bubble bath and all the details and all that. And, but then right there in front of you is, is whether you like it or not, there's Ringo and yeah. there's Paul right there smiling at you. And, and yes, it's got grow hair on your beetles. It's got that. And it's got all these other wacky things that are out there. And uh, I put them in. I put them in something rather unique. I put them in alphabetical order. Alphabetical which, order. <laughs> which I know that sounds odd, but if you go to a lot of these other guides and all that, you first got to know. Okay, is it a piece of jewelry? Is it a doll? And then you get what segment is it under? What 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 category and all this? And I thought, you know what? I just want to go A through Z and find all these weird. I mean, things, it makes a sense. Through Z. Well, you would think that, but. Uh, but so that's how I did it. So it goes from apron to wig. I can't find anything with it with a Z right now, but I'm still looking. You'll, you'll probably find something. And then I will buy the third edition. There you go. Yeah. I'll wait a few years. I'll wait a few years before I come out with the third. But yes, believe it or not, I already have some notes set back about what to put in the third edition in a couple of years when I go out. Cause it's just a, it's just such a, a neat genre to, to keep researching and to finding out tidbits before these, this information starts going away for good. It's one of my favorite rabbit holes to go down and Terry, I'd go. like to thank you for coming down that rabbit hole with me today. Ethan and I have had a wonderful time and you are a wonderful host. You, you know, your stuff, you know what to do and you keep things rolling and it's a wonder uh, to be interviewed by you and to everyone else out there if you've enjoyed this episode if you're listening on youtube please hit that like button please subscribe if you haven't hit that bell notification so you get reminded when i upload my videos if you're listening somewhere else please give me a five-star review even if you didn't like it it helps my ego um but yeah terry thank you so much Ethan, thank you. To everyone else out there, thank you. You can go home now. Bands on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Fulton. This has been a Showtown production.